Hello, this is Nerd Vomit. I'm Doug. I'm a nerd, and this is my vomit. I could have thought of a better intro. Thank you for all the wonderful feedback uh, for Nerd Vomit. Uh, I know the biggest one was that I was very monotone. I was very concise. I was like reading um, a very boring op-ed. I was like reading very boring reviews, and I know that there's going to be a learning curve on doing this myself, so I'm hoping that I at least end a bit more lively when we get into the fall season of television. I know I'm a couple weeks back behind even, but it's basically because I will eventually catch up, and I will do so now. Like I said last episode, the fall season, how we how we've done the talking points and how I'm going to be doing the talking points going forward is that we talk about the um, season premiere, the mid-season finale, and the season finale. Um, that way, unless there's like a huge event that happens somewhere in the middle of all of that, uh, we'll talk about it. But that way, not every episode is about all of these shows over and over and over ad nauseum and that there's no room for any other things that we could talk about, which I have plenty to talk about outside of the fall season, so let's get started with that. The Return of the Good Place. Now, The Good Place was a show that I thought was just a generic sitcom. I had no idea how funny and interesting and smart it was going to be. I should have assumed, now knowing, that it was uh, created by Michael Schur, who also did Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec. Season 3 has brought in some interesting twists with the fact that the four souls, the four main characters, are now on Earth. And there's a whole new experiment in trying to get them into the good place. If you're not following this, I'm not going to outline the last two seasons. All I'm saying is it, the first two seasons are fairly quick watches. Go ahead, go back, do it. You'll thank me later. Um, but I just, I just love the smart... Um, and and sweet writing on it, the fact that like the this demon played by Ted Danson cares about these four humans, and now he's literally just going to throw the universe into disarray because of them, because he cares about them, because as they've become better people, they've made him a better entity. Um, is great, and it's still like I said, so smart, so funny. Still has even in the twenty-two minutes it's on. Still has twists and turns um, that you're like, what's going to happen next? And that, I mean, it, literally every episode ends on a cliffhanger. It's fantastic. Gifted uh, has come out, or The Gifted. I, I remember it being just Gifted. Um, Gifted is a show on Fox that is set in the X-Men Fox universe. Um, it follows Stephen Moyer, play, uh, who's the actor, uh, and Amy Acker, who's a father and uh, mother of these two children who have very destructive mutant abilities when placed uh, together. Very much Fenris from the comics, if you follow that. This season has started out with a bang that, you know, basically everyone thinks that this mutant underground cell is dead um, and they've been divided. Um, some have, you know, were thought dead in the underground and some have gone on in a shadowy conspiratorial group called the Hellfire Club, which, of course, if you read the comics, you know exactly what that is with the inner circle. Uh, and you have the uh, birth of Polaris's um, 
child. You have Stephen Moyer, who was a human, thought he was a human. It uh, turns out he was a mutant with destructive powers that his father managed to suppress for decades, and now his powers are starting to erupt, and they are in- literally corrosive. Uh, he seems to be able to disintegrate things. How is he going to control this? How is he going to deal with the fact that he may not be able to touch anything for the rest of his life? Not his family, not a book, not a, a, a PlayStation controller, not a clock. I don't know, I'm just looking around. I love lamp, l- looking at things that he would, you know, not be able to touch. So, I'm really digging it. Uh, I've loved the showrunner, Matt Nix. He did Burn Notice. Now, I dropped off a of Burn Notice after, I think, the third or fourth season, um, but I, I loved it. Uh, it was just one of those, I, I had other things to do, and I kind of dropped out of um, watching a lot of TV there for a while. Kind of came back in the golden age of, of television, they call it, or this new golden age. Walking Dead came back. <sighs> this season has been good. It's only two episodes in. And I know it's going to be Rick's last season, and it's going to be um, Maggie's last season, played by Andrew Lincoln and Laurie Cohan, respectively. So I am going to watch it because I want to see how they're going to write these two huge, like, very um, integral characters out of the show. They're going to kill them or they're going to run away. I don't know. Um, Hot air balloon race and they'll come back in two seasons. Who knows? Um, Actually, I kind of like that last one. We'll see. Walking Dead, though, I mean, the pacing has got to be a problem where, you know, really the last couple seasons have been... Instead of being like tense pot boilers, um, it's they're just boring. Um, I know last season was like the war, and there's a lot of planning. It's a lot of you know the generals talking to their army, so to speak, and their subordinates, and all the planning. And it was supposed to be like really tense, and you're like, oh my god, like you know, is this plan going to work? Is it not going to work? What's going to go wrong? And really, it was just boring. Um, it was just people talking, and that's it. Um, so I'm interested to see what they do this season. The season, the theme seems to be like rebuilding, rebirth, um, after the death of Carl and Carl, Carl, writing those, uh, letters to, uh, Negan and Rick saying like, forgive each other, rebuild this world. We can do it better than what was before. And those characters struggling against their baser feelings, their baser behavior, um, their basic nature as, as, you know, both humans and animals, um, to rebuild something better has been, is I think going to be interesting. And like I said, I will see where it goes. I begrudgingly started watching this season. So I'm like, you know, I've been watching this for eight years, you know, nine years. Am I watching it just because I'm a completist and I will just keep watching it. And right now the answer is no, I'm really enjoying this season so far, but once again, it's only, you know, the third episode just premiered last night. I still haven't watched it. I'm always kind of a day behind. But I'm not begrudgingly watching The Walking Dead this season. Now, when we hit mid-season finale, will I have changed my mind? Will my tune have changed? Possibly. And that's why we talk about first, mid, and last with premieres and stuff. Because, who knows, I could go on and on and on about The Walking Dead every week, but that's not... They're literally Walking Dead podcasts. You can... There's a literal show after Walking Dead about Walking Dead called Talking Dead. So, despite anyone's opinions on on Chris Hardwick right now, or then, or in the future, um, the point is that show does exist. So, 
Uh, speaking of other shows that exist, Big Mouth Season 2. Holy shit, I'm a huge fan of this show. And while the second season didn't seem as quotable, as sharp as the first season, I think the first season was like, boom, here it is, here's this world, here's the craziest shit going on, and you don't know if you're going to get a second season. The second season, I think, really lets the other like lets all the characters kind of breathe and have their own experiences. It's not so much about, you know, a couple of kids going through the puberty. That's what the show's about. It's about going through puberty and the changes in, in life and, and, and social interactions and boys and girls and men and women. And uh, I think on this season, they, you know, really got into, like, some of the parents' And their stuff, as opposed to just focusing on the kids. And it was like, yeah, it's not as kid-centric. And I, once again, I didn't think it was super quotable the way the first season was, but it's me. Um, but I think that it could get deeper into the layers of each character emotionally and even physically with, you know, the changes, the puberty. Um, and letting... The, like, having the parents being able to breathe and have their stories. And when you find out about Andrew's parents, holy shit, that got fucking real. And it started out so funny. It started out with the mom seeing delight in the 90s. And then it takes a shockingly weird, dark twist. I will say that. It involves a slide whistle. And, of course, I would be remiss if I did not bring up the new character, the other side of the coin from the horny hormone monster, the Shame Wizard. Now, talking to friends that have watched this, uh, The Shame Wizard is just exactly what you think. It's a Shame Wizard, uh, voiced by the guy who plays uh, Remus Lupus uh, on Harry Potter. And um, The Shame Wizard was this character where I didn't know I had one until I was face-to-face -face with it, and I went, oh... Yeah, no, I've totally met the Shame Wizard. I just didn't have a name for it. Uh, same thing with the Hormone Monster. It was one of those where, like, I didn't know I had one of those until I saw it went, yep, that makes sense. Back when I was, like, you know, 12, 13, 14. Oh, man. Just in the first part where he goes, rage, rage, fucking rage. And, like, you know, he, like, pushes his friend. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's totally, yes. Um, see, I just quoted the first season. Can I quote the second season? Not at the top of my head. Well, of course I could. Because um, there was a part where Coach Steve thinks the shame wizard's name is Shane Lizard. And it is hilarious. Um, the coach also uh, loses his virginity and refers to it as, quote, uh, making thick in the warm, which is gross. Um, but, man, it's it, this one's a lot more emotional, um, and I think it's fantastic, and it ends on a cliffhanger of one of the boys getting a female hormone monster. Now, what does that mean? Could he be gay, trans? Is there going to be that kind of talk in the next season where it's like, well, you're a boy and you should have a boy hormone monster. What does it mean if you have a girl hormone monster? Is that different? We'll see. I, I would, I, I've got a sneaking suspicion that Connie, the female hormone monster, was Nick's dad's hormone monster. That's And that's why he's so, like, such a good listener, so um, respectful, and um, there's a, a word I'm looking for, attentive to women's needs. That's my theory for next season. I guess we'll find out next year. 
Um, so that's Big Mouth. Once again, quick watch. Um, I burned through it and, you know, I could have done it in a day if I wouldn't have had a day job. Um, but I need to re-burn through it. I need to re-watch it once I'm through with uh, Daredevil, which I'll talk about next week. Because I want to get through this list uh, so we can start fresh. Uh, let's see. Oh, well, Deb and I always talked about what we called uh, DC TV, or all of the shows on the CW, which three had premiered. Um, Supergirl might have premiered. I don't know. I don't watch it. I think it's terrible. That's all I want to say about that. But Flash, Arrow, and Black Lightning have returned. Flash, I kind of have a good feeling, bad feeling about it. My good feeling is that I do love having Chris Klein come in and play the villain Cicada, who I know from the comics is a person who runs a cult dedicated to um, the Flash, and he ends up uh, showing his, his his Lord Master Flash his appreciation, uh, his dedication, by killing people that Flash has saved and using their like life force to keep himself immortal. Yeah, because that's how you do it. So I love that you know, Cicada's going to be at least a big bad for the first half. Um, I like that there's, you know, now more and more good speedsters. I like that they introduced Excess. I like that she's referenced uh, a Batman Beyond um, word, Shway. I like that she mentions Lightning Lad. Um, I like that she mentions, like, the Legion of Superheroes in the 30th century. I like that. Um, here's what I don't like. That she's now, like... Her whole thing is that, you know, she's there to, like, stop the crisis that the Flash appears in, which, by the way, is in, like, another, like, four years, ten years, whatever it is. I found a picture of the newspaper, and it's like, she has plenty of time. And, like, the Flash disappearing in a crisis, you can't have a Flash not disappear in a crisis. That's kind of part of the crisis in every DC crisis. And we've talked about it ad nauseum on some of our earlier shows on No Applause, Just the Clap, that DC have crises and Marvel has wars. Secret wars, civil wars, and DC always has a, a crisis on infinite Earths or a crisis on multiple Earths or an identity crisis or a final crisis. So, and in every one of those crises... Flash disappears. They tend to come back, um, but Flash disappears. So you can't have a crisis without that. And having her name Nora makes no sense. Barry Allen has two children, Dawn and Dawn. I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. A son, D-O-N, and a daughter, D-A-W-N, Dawn and Dawn Allen, the Tornado Twins, who end up forming a superhero duo and thus creating the Legion of Superheroes in the future. So to have access named Nora, it doesn't even make sense. Like she's like a distant cousin of like this, like distant cousin of Wally West or no, Bar um, it's, um, Barry Allen's grandson. And then she's like his like kind of distant cousin. Cause he was like in a, he grew up in a VR world. It gets super sci-fi. Don't worry about it, but she's related to impulse somewhere in the future. And I'm talking like, 24th century future. So that's kind of the bad part where I'm I'm not a fan of this excess character. I mean, I like the character herself um, on her own, and I like I like the character in the comics. Um, Mark Wade kind of pulled her into his Flash run, uh, which worked because 
at the time that Flash Wally West needed a whole team of speedsters to take down Savitar, which they ruined in the show. But anyway, um, so yeah, good Cicada. Bad, this whole, like, little side point, side thing with, with access with, um, Nora Allen, the, the daughter, not the mother, um, you know, trying to stop Barry Allen from disappearing into a crisis. Um, we'll see. Flash, I, I thought the last season was kind of draggy in terms of, I liked that, like, the Thinker and Flash met each other almost right away, they knew each other's secret identities, and it was like, well, this is wow, like, that's never happened, and then it was just a lot of machinations that took forever to play out. Um, it was like the world's most boring Rube Goldberg machine watching the last season of The Flash. Uh, so we'll see with Cicada. I hope they kind of move it along pretty fast. Um, once again, my whole thing with Flash, I wish they would do things that they do with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I know is probably on its way out, but that, um, you know, they kind of break it into what they call pods, where you kind of have, um, you know, at the, the mid-season mark, they kind of pivot into a different big bad or a different aspect. And I think that keeps the show fresh. And I think that's what Flash uh, did. Or, show, I'm sorry, what the Flash should do and what this next show I'm about to talk about did last season, which was Arrow. Because you think that Michael Emerson playing the character, I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but the hacker, you know, the hacker genius... Um, you think he's the big bad, and then you find out the guy from 12 Monkeys, whose name I can't think of off the top of my head, but he was, uh, the character was Ricardo Diaz, uh, Richard Dragon was, it was supposed to be, but it wasn't a very good adaptation of him. But he becomes the big bad in kind of the second half, and it was like, oh, what a great, like, twist, and they kept it fresh, because you're like, it's not just the same bad guy over and over and over and over again. Now, this season of Arrow, I'm excited for, for two reasons. One, it starts off with, you know... Jumping ahead and seeing Green Arrow in prison because he said, I am the Green Arrow and I'm guilty of these crimes. And if we, you know, if, if it saves my family and friends, we'll do it. Great. I love seeing him in that kind of Supermax kind of way, which was a Green Arrow idea that um, David S. Goyer, um, a writer and director, had for a Green Arrow movie. So I kind of like that they, they, they took that and went, how can we do this, like, in a cool way, since that's not going to be a movie. Can we do it in like with a TV show? Because uh, it's too cool of an idea to let go. And I agree. So I, I love, love seeing um, kind of the Supermax Green Arrow. I also like the flash forwards with his son going to the island Lian Yu and finding Roy. I cannot wait to see how these flash forwards pay off. Cannot wait. I... It makes me more excited. Like, now that I know what happened to Ollie for the five years he was gone, which kind of got, once again, a little repetitive um, at times, I'm excited to see what happens, what shapes William to become, like, you know, kind of this just addict kid kid in, in the current timeline to that he seems to want to become the, a new Green Arrow the way um, Connor Hawk took over um, for Oliver Queen in the comics, uh, and kind of went down his, like, father's path to, to see, uh, what, what, what kind of a hero he could be. Uh, there also is another quote-unquote Green Arrow running around. Now, we haven't seen Diggle, oh no, Diggle's working for Argus, so never mind. We don't know the, uh, identity. If it's future William, I'm going to vomit and not 
in a good way, like on this show, um, in a bad way, like there is no vomiting in a good way. It's only vomiting in a bad way. And, uh, so that's what I, what I've got on Arrow. I mean, it's only been one episode. I'm not going to deconstruct it. There are Arrow podcasts, I'm sure. If I had one, I'd call it like, you failed this podcast, which I'm pretty sure probably exists. Black Lightning, I still think it looks like the Shaquille O'Neal movie Steel, but it reads and watches like um, Luke Cage. I think it's socially relevant. I think it's as edgy as it can be. Uh, and I really like the look of this season. Uh, once again, I, I think the costuming could change. Um, I think James Remar could... Maybe not try to, you know, summon his inner William Shatner when he's acting. Uh, I think James Remar is better than that. But that's me. Um, but I'm, I'm really big in Black Lightning. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting corner of, you know, this Arrowverse that CW has created with Flash and Arrow and Legends of, Tom uh, Legends of Tomorrow, which premieres next week, uh, or this week, at time of recording, um, and all of this. So, uh, I, I'm interested to see where, where Black Lightning goes. It's a fun little watch. Um, once again, the fact that they can do twists and turns, twists and turns that don't seem that that are a little paint by numbers, but don't seem that pedestrian when they happen, is very difficult to pull off. And I like that in Black Lightning. Speaking of pedestrian, but pulling it off, Venom. Uh, I talked about it on a previous um, podcast that we recorded earlier this morning. Venom, for being PG-13, is as good as it's going to get for a Venom movie. Now, it'll say spoilers at the top of this episode on the descriptions. I'm going to tell you right now, even though it's been out for a couple weeks, spoilers. And they're not really that many, because this was an origin story. This is, if you don't know who Venom is, who's a character that's been around for, fuck you know, almost 40 years now, that's kind of crazy, you know, 30 years, um, if not pushing 40, then get with it, you know, Wikipedia, it's not that hard. Can you make a Venom movie without Spider-Man? Yes. Can you make a Venom movie with a bunch of superfluous tertiary characters that really hold back the story behind Venom and Eddie Brock? Yes. Should you? Sure. I mean, it made money. Um, you know, it's only big competition was A Star is Born. Let that sink in. A Venom movie that everyone was frothing at the mouth at, uh, and it's big competition was A Star is Born. And it's still kind of, you know, it hit higher that first week, but, you know, I just think that, you know, you could have, you could have eliminated, like I said, a few of the characters, um, tertiary, like the doctor, the, the like, love triangle doctor character, um... I think Michelle Williams was wasted. I think Jenny Slate's character could have not been in there at all. Um, and it's weird seeing her play uh, kind of straight dramatic, quote-unquote dramatic, uh, after seeing her as Mona Lisa on Parks and Rec and she's Missy on Big Mouth, um, if I can bring that show up again, as well as Parks and Rec that came up earlier. Um, I think you've gotten rid of some of the characters. I mean, really, the the... The Girlfriend in the Refrigerator, which if you don't know what that means, go look it up. I'm not going to get completely into it. But basically, it's a female character that dies to spur the 
male character into action. Um, the the kind of girl the girlfriend in the refrigerator character was like this homeless woman, and it was like you didn't need to build a whole lot of emotional connection. It was like Eddie Brock and this homeless woman, like you know, are friends because you know he knows the people like in his like three square blocks of San Francisco. And then when he finds her dead after, you know, being experimented on at the Life Foundation, that spurs him. Like, you didn't need Jenny Slate in the movie to die to spur him. Like, there was, it's like, it's like everything was just, like, there to, to like, get in the way. Um, and really the best parts of the movie were the symbiote and Eddie talking and getting to know each other. And you find out how, and I'm not trying to be glib here, how alien the symbiote is because... While he seems to be able to, like, kind of understand the world through the lens that is Eddie Brock, he still doesn't know what a dog is and thinks they look delicious. Whereas he seems to know, like, other things where, like, very basic knowledge and he's able to talk to Eddie. Uh, but it's like, but you don't know, you couldn't have shared that part of his brain where you know what a dog is? That seems really strange to me. Um, the thing I have to address is this six-month thing. Now, what this is, is that the other symbiote that you see in the trailers, Riot, uh, is, you know, moving from, like, whatever it was, Malaysia, where the the the, the ship crashed that, uh, uh, that has the symbiotes in them, Riot and Venom and the other ones, um, that Riot jumps from body to body to body, trying to get from Malaysia to San Francisco, right? Okay. You see um, Riot jump into a little, or bond itself to a little girl in Malaysia, and you see Eddie Brock become a disgraced reporter who ruins his life. Okay, great. Then it says, six months later, literally says six months later, Eddie Brock's a mess, he's an alcoholic, his fiance broke up with him and is dating some guy from Veep. You know, he can't get a job, he's almost out of money, like, his life is awful. Now, this is six months later, and that's fine. It says six months later, and you see the little girl get off in an airport in San Francisco, and I'm like, wait, it took her, even if she took a fucking train, it wouldn't take six months. So, boo on you. And it could have been, that is an easy thing to fix in terms of editing. Literally, show the girl getting off the, the off in the airport in San Francisco, and then cut to Eddie Brock six months later. That way, you're not implying that it took her six months to get from Malaysia to San Francisco. I'm getting so angry about this. It was worth seeing. Was it worth seeing twice? No. Is it worth a sequel? Based on the post-credits scene? Yes. Um, which is the big reveal of Cletus Cassidy. Can they pull off a PG-13 carnage? That's a better question. Did they succeed in pulling off a PG-13 Venom? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's going to be what it's going to be. And he doesn't have to be full of bloodlust and mayhem. But Carnage does. So, how are they going to pull this one off? Literally, a homicidal symbiote bonded to a serial killer. And it's going to be PG-13. I'm calling shenanigans. Um, We'll get into some quick video game talk. And then I'm going to wrap it up. Um, after beating Spider-Man, I went back to play, uh, finish off Batman Arkham Knight. Got to a spot where I was very frustrated. So I was like, I'm going to put it down and get into something different. 
I tried playing Nio or Neo, I don't know how it's pronounced, N-I-O-H. I'm sorry, but for like a game that's like highly rated, I couldn't get past like the tutorial level, and I use air quotes when I say that because it doesn't tell you anything. I hate games that do that. Now, I'm not a dumb guy, but I'm sorry, like there should always be a level that, and you can choose to skip it or not, like with a tutorial where it's like, this is how to equip a weapon. That way I'm not running around, like, I have, I had a sword. I had no idea how to use it. Um, so I'm just getting slaughtered by these people guarding me because I'm supposed to escape, like the Tower of London, which, it, it just, it wasn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Um, I got frustrated very easily, uh, very quickly. I shouldn't say easily, but I mean, that's like, I, I really did give it a chance. Um, it's the same with a game called Bloodborne that, like, you kind of just get dropped into it, and sometimes that can be okay. But when you don't know how to equip your weapons, use them, what's going on, I know sometimes the disorientation can be fun in a game, but this, uh, those are two examples where they are not, and I was like, fuck these games, I'm not touching them, and I'm gonna blast, put them on blast on, uh, on my modest podcast. <laughs> um... So I started playing a different one called, uh, and it's only like an 8 to 10 hour game called Murdered Soul Survivor, where you play a cop who was, guess what, murdered, and as a ghost, you solve your own murder with the help of this um, teenage uh, smart-mouthed medium. I gotta say, for a game that I'd never really heard of, I liked it. Um, it was a bit, it, it kind of was in between the point and click of a Telltale game, Uh and, like, the, like, open world of, like, L.A. Noir. So it's kind of right in the middle where, yeah, like, you kind of ran around. You had, like, a like a, a crime scene that you had to kind of point and click at. But they basically built a small town that you could run around in and explore and find, you know, side mission stuff and clues to different crimes and, um, like, backstories of the town that evolved, like, other ghost stories. And it was really cool. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to ruin it, but the murder, I was shocked shocked. I did not see it coming at all. And usually, I'm pretty good at, you know, figuring stuff out, especially on video games. I mean, they don't make them, like, horribly hard. Like, but the murderer, I was like, whoa. And there were some plot twists inside of that, where I was like, whoa. So, Nayo, meh. Murdered soul survivor. It is a little simplistic, if you're looking for something, you know, really immersive. Uh, but for a quick, like, 8-10 hour game, I didn't, you know, get platinum on it. There was stuff I didn't find because I didn't know what I was looking for. Um, I really appreciated it. I uh, did start playing Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt. Too immersive was like, I need to back out of this. Um, it was, I, I, I just didn't have the time to put into it. Um, and, the, and the game mechanics were a little, little twitchy. Uh, I wasn't a fan of them. So I, I kind of just set it to the side. I ended up picking up the Assassin's Creed Ezio collection, which I'm enjoying. Um, I'd never played an Assassin's Creed before. Uh, and this is like kind of, uh, it's Assassin's Creed uh, 2, Brotherhood, and Revelations or Bloodline, something like that. I don't remember what the third game is, but it starts with Assassin's Creed. Um, but I guess you play as the same uh, Italian assassin the whole way through. Uh, and, I mean, I can tell it's ported over from PlayStation, you know, 2 and 3, um, so the controls are still a little sticky, uh, they're not as intuitive, but I liked the, the idea of it enough and the mechanics enough that I went and got the newest Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, 
which I think I'm gonna I'm gonna start playing uh, today. Uh, if even if I don't feel like watching Daredevil season three on Netflix, so um, Assassin's Creed, having kind of walked into it blind, I really like it. I mean, I'd seen the movie, but that doesn't count because that's barely a movie. Um, and there's another note for Fall TV, but you know what? We'll get to it next week, and I'll leave you on that cliffhanger. Um, I don't know. I don't have an outro for this. I don't have any other segments. Um, you know, I was supposed to do like an IMDb trivia thing, but I think I've, I've said enough connections to XYZ on this. Um, and I think I've, I've, I've covered most of what I want. Like I said, there's a cliffhanger. Uh, what will I talk about? What fall TV show did I leave off the list that I watch? You could probably figure it out if you know me well. And I hope, uh, I look forward to even more feedback. Let me know how I'm doing on this, what I can do, segments you might want. Uh, I'll see about maybe bringing back, uh... Cake Bane. I'd always talked about that on No Applause, or maybe doing Ask a Supervillain. I might have the time to do that again. Um, and of course, I still don't have an outro, so hey, maybe suggest one of those. Like, I'm not going to do that weird vomit sound that I did the first couple episodes. Um, except that I did it earlier when I was talking about Big Mouth, so... Sorry. Oh, was it that... Is that did I, do I apologize? Was that my outro? I can't remember. Remind me. Uh, go to our website, bacnpodcast.com, uh, click on all of the links, and there's details, and a blog, and all sorts of crazy shit. So, goodbye, I guess. If you liked this, check out some of our other shows, like Mr. Right, Exotic Liability, and No Applause, Just the Clap. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, yeah.